0: Hello. <laughs> uh, this week I want to introduce you guys to Betty Olson. As we look at her life, we can learn to trust God in the sad and hard times. Betty Olson was born on October 22nd, 1934, to parents Walter Olson and Elizabeth Olson. She grew up in Milwaukee, French West Africa. At the age of, seven, the age of 17, Betty had endured the loss of her mother. And as hard as it would be for anyone, it was very hard on Betty. And when she looked for love and attention from her father, he didn't give it to her. When Betty finished high school, she moved to the US and took nurses training at a hospital in Brooklyn, New York. She later enrolled in Nyack Missionaries College to prepare for a life as a missionary. But after college, Betty anticipated that she wouldn't get into the CNMA. And at the age of 29, she found herself working in Chicago as a nurse. She desperately wanted to get married and start a family of her own, but that relationship never happened for her. Not only was she feeling defeated in her personal life, but she was also feeling defeated in her Christian life. She was in such a depressed state that she even considered suicide. But through the will of God, he sent a fellow believer into her life and he taught her some ways about Christian living that would eventually change hers. She had multiple counseling sessions with him, and after a long time, she came to, the point, to a point of wanting to serve God as a single woman. Later, she went on to be a missionary in Vietnam with Hank Flood and Mike Bench. At one point, all three of them were captured, and she went through unimaginable torture. They all began to get very sick, and Hank Flood was the first to die. Betty's legs began to swell, making it, very, making it very difficult for her to walk. She had spent her last days suffering for by century, and she later was found dead on a hammock. What we can learn about Betty's life is that she went through a lot of bitterness and even a great time of depression, but God didn't let her stay there. He brought someone into her life who helped bring her back to God. God can do the same in our own lives when we feel sad or even hopeless. We can trust that God won't keep us there, and he'll find a way to always bring us back to him. Thank you.
1: Awesome. Thank you, Naomi. What a great word for all of us today, encouraged by you and by our sister, Betty. All right, let's get into the word today. uh, Jack's going to come and preach Uh, from two sections of Scripture, Isaiah 58, 9 through 14, and then we're going to read Matthew 7, 13 through 23. This is in the ESV. So first, Isaiah 58, verses 9 through 14. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and you will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry... And satisfy the desire of the afflicted. Then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And then from Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 7, verse 13 through 23, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes, or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me you workers of lawlessness this is god's word
2: let's just pr- let's just pray together for a minute here Jesus, I thank you that you have given us your written word so that we can look into it and it can speak to our lives and change us. And Lord, that we have something that we can look at and read and study and know how we ought to live when there are so many voices in this world telling us other ways. Your word is a sure foundation that we can build our lives on. I would ask you today that you, Jesus, would just speak to our hearts and change our lives in Your precious name, Amen. I just have a little little thought here. I'll try to keep this thing in front of me. I'm used to using my arms and then taking the microphone away, but. Um, Jesus is so unpredictable in what he did. If you just read the gospel, as you can see he's just so unpredictable. He never had a, a certain way of doing things that he just repeated over and over and over again. Everything was different. And one of the things that I, th- I thought was kind of interesting was when he came upon a, black, um, a, a deaf man who couldn't speak or could barely speak. So what did Jesus do? He sticks his fingers in the deaf man's ears, spits on his hand, and puts it on the deaf man's tongue. Now, how do you like that for a motion for healing? But the man was instantly healed. He could hear, and he could talk again. It's just, to me, it's kind of an amusing amusing thing that he does. Um, But he never did that again. One time he spit on on the ground, made a little mud out of it, put it on a man's eye and told him to go wash. I wonder, did he make an eyeball? (laughs) So the man could see again. (laughs) But you just wonder about the things that that Jesus did. And you, you look at the things that Jesus said. And some of them are pretty hard. Some of them are pretty straightforward. You understand clearly what he meant. And other times he just challenges us right down to the very core of our being. Uh, I think of the rich man, the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and and said, I I did all the commandments. I did all these things. And uh, then Jesus said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell everything that you have and come following me. And the rich man just went away, you know, downcast. But think about what happened. And this is what a lot of times happens to us. Jesus speaks a word to us. We're, We're earnest with desire and passion to follow him. And then we tell Jesus about our desire and what we want to do for him. And then we hear him speak a word to us that just freezes us. He knew what was in the rich man's heart. And he froze that man by the words, sell everything you got and follow me. Jesus goes right at the heart. In every situation that we're in, he goes right for the heart because he he knows that out of our heart come the issues of life. He does not want lip service. He doesn't want just actions that don't proceed out of the heart. And that's what I think uh, these two passages of Scripture are speaking to us. I told a little story about how Jesus healed because he's so, it's so unusual how he does things. But it's unusual how he approaches, approaches us as individuals compared to how the world does. The world might look at you and, and see all the things that you do and say, That's good. But in your heart, you're saying, I hate doing all these things. But I do them because I have to. That's not what Jesus wants. That's why he spoke of, of the, in, the, in the Sermon on the Mount when he, he said things like, if you call someone a fool, you've murdered him. Because Jesus is looking again at the heart. He said, "of the, He said, of the He says of, to all of us, if you like, like he said, you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've done it." Yeah, he 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 goes again, right straight at the heart. So I look at I, I I'm just going to read something that I wrote to be, to begin with here. It says, "Is Christianity easy to live, or is it hard to live?" I can make an argument for both sides but the reality is that there are three powerful forces that are against you. The flesh, the world, the evil one, the devil. Religion is hanging around the cross. The idea of going to church, hearing a sermon, singing a hymn, putting a dollar in the offering, shaking hands with the pastor, and telling him it was a good message, and then go home and do whatever you want the rest of the week. That's just religion. That's not Christianity. It doesn't make you a Christian, it makes you religious. It doesn't mean you are saved. Only the blood of Jesus can do that. Only a heart changed by the blood of Jesus. You can know about the blood of Jesus. You can know about the doctrines and creeds of the Church of Christianity. You can read the Bible every day and know all about Jesus and Christianity and still not be saved. Do you know him? Is he your best friend? Are you his friend? There is a vast difference in knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus intimately. I say all this in the beginning here because of what is said in Matthew seven fourteen, For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life and few are those who find it. I want to look at Isaiah 58 first. Um, Basically, the idea of what the prophet is saying to the people of Israel and what Jesus is saying in Matthew 7 are are very much the same. Um, I want to... Part of this Isaiah 58 that we didn't didn't read, I want to read to you. Just get, here's the prophet saying this to the people. And he says, Yet cry loudly and do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet and declare to my people their transgression and to the house of Jacob their sins. Now don't notice he says, declare to the people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. And this is what he said, is their sins. They seek me day and, day by day and delight to know my ways. As a nation that has done righteousness and has not forsaken the ordinance of their God, they ask me for just decisions. They delight in the nearness of God. Why have we fasted and thou dost not see? Why have we humbled ourselves and thou dost not notice? Behold, on the day of your fast, you find your desire and drive hard all your workers. Behold, You fast for for contention and strife and strike with a wicked fist. You You do not fast like you do today to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast like this which I choose, a day for a man to humble himself? Is it for bowing one's head like a reed and for spreading out sackcloth and ashes as a bed? Will you call this a fast, even an acceptable day of the Lord?" Doesn't a lot of those things sound like good things? And yet Jesus, or let, 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 yet the prophet is calling out to them, these are your sins. Your heart is not in it. You're just doing it as an outward expression of things like religion. Your heart is not there. You fast, and yet you drive your workers to, to, every, to the hardest you can to get what you want. You go after your desire. And then the prophet says, you bow your head, you humble yourselves, but that's not the fast I'm calling you to. In the, passage of, in, in, in the verses that come right, right before the passage that we read, he, sp- he speaks of these things. Is this not the fast which I choose, to loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free, and break every yoke. Doesn't that sound like Isaiah 61? The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to what? To do these things. To break every yoke. To set the captive free. To open prison doors. To bind up the brokenhearted. And you know, I think about that. And sure, I know that that passage refers to Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord God upon. Jesus used that passage himself in one of the very first sermons he preached in the synagogue. But here is the reality. Jesus lives within us. If we are truly his, he lives his life within us. We have become crucified. And it's no longer our life. It's the life of Jesus that he lives and if he has his way and lives through us and we yield to him, then the same spirit that is upon Jesus to do these things, breaking the yoke and breaking the bondage and setting him the captive free is upon us. But if we think that spirit is upon us to be able to do those things, but we live like the people that Isaiah was speaking to, we can say it all we want. It's not going to be. The power is not there, because the power is Jesus, and it belongs to him, and it only flows through us as we yield our life to him, and that's what the prophet is saying to, to these people in, in, uh, in, of Israel. He says, you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry, and I will say, here I am. I think that if we're not living the life and we call out to God and we say, can you answer this prayer for me? Can you do this for me? Can you do this for me? And it doesn't seem to happen, and God doesn't seem to hear, and God doesn't answer. I think it's a thing that we need to pay attention to because perhaps the Spirit is saying to you, are you really right with me? Because really the spirit of the Lord, Jesus, the only prayer he really wants to hear from a person that really isn't following God is will you look at my heart and change me? That's what he wants. Will you look at my heart and change me? And to really mean it. You know, I've often referred to my experience that happened on May 19th last year. I will never be able to speak of that without breaking up. Because that's just exactly what God did to me. He said, I've got one prayer that I want you to say, and I'm not going to hear anything else. Will you surrender everything to me? And I couldn't do anything but say yes. And when I did, he opened up a floodgate towards me. Just like it says here in Isaiah. If you... We'll remove the yoke from your midst. The pointing of the finger. I'm going to go through this. The pointing of the finger. You know, we do that. We do, we do the pointing of the finger. Maybe we don't do this. But when I criticize someone, I'm pointing my finger right at them. When I speak bad of someone, I'm pointing my finger right at them. And I'm going to step on somebody's, some people's toes and I don't really care. Because when we make a political issue and we point our finger and we criticize at another party that we don't like, we're being critical. And here's why I tell you that that's so important. The moment we take on a critical spirit, we're defying the spirit of the living God. Because... I can look at some ministry and criticize that ministry. Well, they don't do this, they don't do this, and they don't do this. Who gives me the right to criticize the servant, another servant of the master? Who gives me the right to judge that? Doesn't Jesus say with the same judgment that you judge, you're going to be judged? Now, I'll grant, there are politicians out there that I don't think should be in office at all. I'll grant that. But how about praying for them? How about looking at all these things through the eyes of God because he's the sovereign God? Doesn't the scripture speak about no one becomes a king without God's permission? No one becomes a president without God's permission. Israel said, give us a king. We want to be like all the other nations. And God said, no. And they kept after it. And he said, okay, here's Saul. He stands tall. He looks kingly. And we all know what happened to Saul. He disobeyed God. He never was God's. He never belonged to God. He always told the prophet Samuel, you pray to your God. How come he didn't say, pray to my God? It was a disaster. But God gave him to him because the people wanted it. God's the sovereign Lord. I have my political views. I'm not going to expound them here. doesn't matter. I trust in God. I trust in the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I believe in him. He will do what he wants, to did, wants done. And he told me to pray for the leaders of our nation and the leaders of, of our state. He told me to pray, to hold them up in prayer, no matter who they are. He didn't tell me to be critical. He didn't tell me to point the finger. Because one day, maybe God will point the finger at me. Will I be obedient? That on that one day he can say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. Or will he judge me harshly and cruelly like I did others? If you remove the yoke from your midst, and pointing a finger and speaking wickedness, and if you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light will rise in darkness. May 19th, I said, yes, Lord. And he came in like a flood to me. Your, and then your light will rise in darkness. Your gloom will become like midday. What, bright sunshine? That's my gloominess? I'll take it. That sounds pretty good to me. And the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desire in scorched places. So he doesn't say that you're not going to be in scorched places, but he would satisfy you and help you in those times. Give strength to your bones, and you will be like a watered garden, and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Sounds like uh, sounds like Jesus when He said concerning the Spirit, that when He the Spirit comes, it would be like rivers of living water flowing out of you. That's the life of Jesus. And by the way, that's the narrow way. That doesn't happen unless you're on the narrow way. There's an interesting point that he makes right here. And those among you will, re- will rebuild the ancient ruins, and you will raise up the age-old foundations, and you will be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets in which to dwell. Now, we could look at this passage literally as it says, and it's probably referring to, to uh, when, when, if you do these things, you can, you'll end up rebuilding the city of Jerusalem, rebuilding your nation, and you'll repair the streets, and you'll do these things right. But there's something else that's spiritual in it. I, I really believe that if we follow the things that, are, that, that I have just read here and said, God is saying to us, Those around you, you can return them to the ancient foundation of God himself. You'll rebuild the way of salvation, the street that's been torn up and destroyed. You'll raise these things up. But if we're pointing the finger, if we're being critical, if we're living in wickedness and speaking wickedness and not being careful what comes out of our mouth, if we're not living the way Jesus wants us to live, how are we going to rebuild the foundation that this nation was built upon? How? We're not going to be able to. If we think our opinion is so important that it has to be heard over the opinions of Jesus, because Jesus doesn't have opinions. He has facts, truth, Truth that we can build a life on. Now, I'm going to look at Matthew 7. But I want you to understand why I went to Matthew 7 after this Isaiah 58. Because look at the beginning of when I started reading this in Isaiah 58. Look at the things that looked so good. You seek me. You love my presence. You try to go after me. You fast. They all had the appearance of good but God was not pleased with them because their heart was not right. Matthew 7:13 it says enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction and many are those who enter by it? For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few are those who find it. I thought it was really interesting when it says, The gate is broad, and broad is the way, and many are those who enter it. Enter. You know, you don't have to do anything to go that way, you just go. You don't have to discipline your mind. You don't have to discipline your thoughts. You don't have to to resist your own emotions and feelings. You don't have to do anything. You just go, and you're on the, the broad way. But it's a pathway that leads to destruction. But while you're on that broad way, you can come to church faithfully. You could even teach in Sunday school. You could even preach. You could get a certificate of ordination. But if you don't know Jesus... If you're not walking that narrow way, it doesn't do you any good. It might impress a lot of people, but it won't do any good. It's worthless, totally worthless. But Jesus said, there's a narrow way. Enter by that narrow way. But he did not say, well, I just said enter by that narrow way. But there's a way to enter by that narrow way. You've got to find it. That takes work. It's not natural for us to go on that narrow way. We have to find it. We have to look for it. We have to study the scriptures to know what it is, that narrow way that to walk on. Few are those who find it. When I read that, I don't know, just, it's just the way I think, I guess, I thought of the, the statement of one of our armed services, the Marines. The few, the proud. Is that what it says? Something like that? The few, the proud, the Marines? I thought, this is a poor statement for Christianity. It should be the few, the humble, the warriors of God. (laughs) Because that's the only way. Humility is the only way. See, I have to humble myself to find that narrow way. I have to humble myself before Jesus to allow Him to really be my Savior and to obey Him, to stop living for my own passions and my own desires, just like Isaiah said in 58, to stop living for my own desires and to live for the passions and the desires of Jesus, to control earthly passions and physical passions and to live for the Lord, to not speak wickedness, but to speak things of the Word, to seek that narrow way out. You know, the the Scripture talks about seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be open to you. Ask. I think of these things because it says it takes work to find that narrow way. The Scripture also speaks of work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, it's not that you have to work to get saved. That's done by Jesus. His blood on the cross saves you. That's it. But after that, you have got to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It means that if you have a problem this way, you have to work that out so that you don't have that problem anymore. If you have a problem with lust, you have to work that out and overcome it and destroy it. By the power of Jesus and the blood. And by, by living the way, what according to his word. By prayer and fasting if, if necessary. If you have a problem with greed, you have to work that out so that you do not. You have to start doing the opposite. Give. It's working out your salvation with fear and trembling. You know, I just named those two, but there's lots of things. But you've got to work those things out. They're not automatic. Jesus saved you. He saved you to work these things out so that you can become like Him. Because He didn't have a problem with lust, He didn't have a problem with greed, He didn't even have a place to lay His head. So it takes searching. Search the scriptures. You know, I think of an example way back in, I was probably 13. I don't know, I can't remember. I had a pastor, and I'm gonna, his name was Rudy Lemke, a seminary student right here in Sioux Falls. And I had a hard time paying attention to the sermons when I was that age. Didn't want to even be in church. But for some reason, he got my attention. And I remember the sermon that I first heard him preach, How to Read the Bible. I don't remember all of it, but I remember that he said, pray, and then read it. I went home that Sunday, sat in my bedroom, asked the Lord to help me to understand, and I opened up Matthew and started reading, and I read the first five chapters of Matthew. And when I stopped, I said, that is the most fantastic book I have ever read in my life. But see, there was something that he, that he, that he gave me through a sermon that enabled me to search, to search the scriptures and find out. And to find this narrow way. Seeking. Seeking the Lord while he may be found. He can be found right now. Go after him. Go after him with all of your heart. Look into the word. Pray. Seek him. Even if you don't know how to pray. Tell him that. I don't know how. I do it all the time. I walk down my driveway and I say, Jesus, I want to be closer to you. But I don't know how to get there. But here I am telling you that, that that's what I want to do. If you just help me some way, I want to be the closer to you. It's in my heart. I want to be near you. I want to know you better. And the next thing you know, I find out that I know him. Next thing you know, there's peace in my heart. Next thing you know, the scriptures come alive in me. Just be, even though I said I, I don't know how to do it. But it happens. He's looking at a heart that says, I will. I'll do the best I can. I'll try. Asking, how about the unjust judge? He says of this poor widow that that came to him again and again and again, these things are wrong. This man wants to do something to me. He wants to take away. He says, will you give me justice? The judge says, no, I won't. But then finally the judge says, because she keeps coming at me and keeps coming at me, she's going to wear me out. I'll give her justice. And Jesus said, did you hear what the unjust judge said? He's unjust. Jesus is just. You keep asking. He'll come to you. Jesus will meet you. Jesus will come to you. But don't quit asking. Knocking. How about the neighbor? Goes knocks on his neighbor's door, and he says... Uh, i got friends come over. I'm out of bread. Can you give me some bread? The neighbor says, no, we're in bed. Can't do it. And kept on knocking. we got to have it. Don't give up. Don't give up going after Jesus. Don't give up going after him. That's the only way you're ever going to get on that narrow way. That's the only way you can be a member of the few that find it. But I'm also going to go this, this way. I think there are many in the Christian world, many of us perhaps even here, we know Jesus has saved us. But I'm not sure if we know much else. And we live in that knowledge that Jesus is the salvation, is our salvation, that he has forgiven us of our sins. But we struggle with a habitual sin. We struggle with we fall into this all the time. Then we overcome it. Then we fall back into it. That's not the narrow way. I think when Jesus says, "Few there are that find it," he's also speaking of the fact that there is a great joy in the presence of the Lord. Psalm says, I don't know "If I can quote it right, <laughs> pleasures forevermore in the presence of the Lord, joy forevermore with Him." Something to, I, I paraphrased it, but you get the idea. Do we have that joy? Do we have that, that, that godly pleasure, or is it something that just escapes us? Years ago, I used to read that, and I think, nah, it has to be in heaven, it can't be now. But it's now, because you can be in his presence right now. You may not always feel his presence, but he's there. And you can have that peace, that strength, that joy. I'm not talking about happiness I'm talking about a joy that will never leave you. Deep down inside, even if the whole world around you is collapsing, your whole world is collapsing, there's a joy deep down inside. I've spoken of how depressed I was before May 19th last year. That depression tries to come back, and I feel it, and I feel it really heavy. You know how I battle it? I simply make a statement, Jesus, I feel depressed but I know you didn't leave me. You're still here. And it's amazing how that depression lightens when I say that. It makes a tremendous difference. There's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end of it is death. But Jesus talks here of a narrow way, and few there are that find it, but he wants every one of us to find that narrow way that leads to life eternal right now. Jesus said, I, am, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That's the narrow way. I have found in this, in this last year, I keep referring back to May 19, but that's the day that something powerful happened to me. And I still don't know if I totally understand it. But I have found that walking this narrow way has provided more joy, more peace, more strength, more insight into His Word, more knowledge of who Jesus really is, and an intimate relationship with Him than I have ever had in my whole life. Please don't misunderstand me right now. This is not a boast. I graduated from USF. It was called Sioux Falls College back then. I went to two years of Bible college. Did well there. I studied the biblical languages. Did well in them. I came back, went to seminary. Years, I, I, I didn't finish it. Years later, I went back again. I've got an education. I got a lot of knowledge. But I'm going to tell you something right now. All it did was puff me up. And I realized right away that I don't need to use these big words. I don't need to use all this stuff that I know. Because the reality is, it didn't change my heart. And that's what I'm saying. That's why I'm telling you that it didn't change my heart. I remember a time, because I lived in Denver. But about the time I left Denver to come back to Sioux Falls, I remember walking out of a church, and a lady came out of that church and stopped me. And I don't know who she is. I can't remember her name. I don't even know if I ever really knew her back then. I just don't know. But I remember what she said to me. It was a prophetic word. And she said, the day is going to come when all that knowledge you got up here is going to hit your heart. It came. And that knowledge all pointed to one thing. Jesus. Jesus. And it hit my heart. And changed everything. I want to show you something before I end this. And if you've got them photos up. That's a picture of the Guadalupe Mountains in Texas. You see that little trail? Don't, can you just stop them? You see that little trail, that little white streak right there? I walked that trail to the highest peak in Texas, which is only 8,000 feet, compared to Colorado at 14,000. But you see that little, how, how steep it is, both sides, that little narrow trail? Go on. There's another part of it, blown right out of the side of a rock. One more. Glacier National Park, that little trail, little tiny trail. Another one. OK, stop, hold it right there. Just stop it right there. I'm up in elevation looking down upon that trail that I I walked right there. Talk about a narrow way. You know what I took when I walked that trail? At that time, I didn't have a backpack. I took a grocery bag with water jugs, a couple sandwiches, (laughs) maybe some almonds. (laughs) Now I have a backpack, so I I walked them. But, you you know, even if you put on a backpack, how much stuff are you going to carry with you Are you going to take your television up there? Your stereo? Because you want to listen to me. You're going to take what's necessary for you to have a drink, some food. That trail? Yeah, I sat down for a while, too. I was 64 years old when I walked that trail. But I want to tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you that because there's a narrow way, spiritually, that we walk on. How much baggage of this world are you going to carry with you that's going to make it impossible for you to walk that narrow way? There's a lot of things I could have carried on that trail. I wouldn't have made it to the end. There's a lot of baggage we can try to carry on this narrow way that Jesus speaks of. few Are they that find it? There's baggage we need to get rid of. Some of the things, some of the baggage we think is really important. And Jesus says, no, it's not. The rich young ruler had a lot of baggage called wealth. And Jesus knew it was just baggage for him sell it and come follow me. Wouldn't it make more sense to go follow Jesus and to hold on to all your wealth? Because I'm looking at eternity. Are you going to hold on to your wealth just so you can have it here on earth for 70 years if you live that long? I've made it. (laughs) But spend the rest of eternity in the lake of fire? Or are you going to let it all go and follow that narrow way and follow Jesus and have life? Right now, life. And then when it's all over with, eternal life with Jesus. He's the prize. He's the one I want. He's the one I'm going after. This standing up here and preaching is not the prize. It just happens to be something that I've been asked to do. It's not the prize. Jesus is the prize. He's the one I want. Turn that, another picture. Okay, they're part of that trail, but look off to that corner. Do You see the distance out there? How far you can see? You're probably looking over 100 miles. There's something about that too. When you rise to the heights with Jesus, oh, what you can see. Oh, what you can understand that this world could never teach you. Are you willing to pay the price to walk that narrow way, to find that joy, to find that peace, to find that strength. I want to close with a, a prayer here. And just a, a really short story about this prayer. This is a, this is a book published in 1948, for, uh, probably 1949, by the Congress of the United States. It was published by our government full of prayers. But this is the prayer that I want to pray over us right now. Forgive us, Lord Jesus, for doing the things that make us uncomfortable and guilty when we pray. We say that we believe in God and yet we doubt God's promises. We say that in God we trust, yet we worry and try to manage our own affairs. We say that we love thee, O Lord, and yet do not obey thee. We believe that thou hast the answers to all our problems, and yet we do not consult thee. Forgive us, Lord, for our lack of faith and the willful pride that ignores the way, the truth, and the life. Wilt thou reach down and change the gears within us, that we may go forward with thee. Amen.